0: I definitely don't know if this episode needed to be 65 minutes long, but to focus too much on that criticism will lose sight of the fact that he essentially created a horror movie called, what is it, The Slaughter of the Bourgeoisie or something, <laughs> and just the mask to this and has them watching this campy peck Peckinpah meet Derrida horror film. I mean, I, he knows what he's doing. He knows the tropes he's playing with. And I, I really enjoy the visual humor. Hello.
1: You're listening to Decrypted, Ars Technica's Mr. Robot podcast. This week... We'll talk Mr. Robot's most recent episode, the season so far, and some big picture series questions with one of TV's leading minds, former Grantland TV critic, host of The Watch Podcast, and Hacking Robot, it's Andy Greenwald. Ars Technica's Nathan Mattheis here, you're listening to Decrypted. I was going to start off by talking about what I consider to be some of the biggest surprises of the season so far. You know, what were the odds that we saw White Rose before we saw Terrell Wellick, or that we'd get around to episode, let's call it episode 4, and Elliot just touched a keyboard for the first time. I also thought about talking why the show is starting to remind me more and more of Breaking Bad. Whether we're talking about the pre-title sequence Stingers, the show's use of humor, or just how exceptionally kinetic the show can be, even if some of its scenes boil down to person one talking to person two.
0: What you're saying,
1: I mean, you sounded like George W. Bush for crying out loud. But rather than do what's becoming one of my regular essays to open the show, this week I've got 20 good minutes with one of the leading minds on Mr. Robot. You might recognize the name Andy Greenwald if you, like me, grew up a pop culture fan in the early 2000s, Dying to work for Spin Magazine. And then he rose to even more prominence with the rise of the website Grantland, with Andy as the primary TV critic. These days you can hear his thoughts on pop culture at large over at the Watch Podcast, which is part of the Channel 33 Podcast Network, and his work there has helped transform him into a TV host of his own right, whether it's talking about the After the Thrones, Game of Thrones post-game show, or the new Hacking Robot show on USA, which covers Mr. Robot. Andy was kind enough to take some time out of his day to chat about the most recent episode and then get into a little bit of the nitty gritty for Mr. Robot's season at large and a lot of the big picture television questions the series brings up. All right, joining me this week on the podcast, I've got the great Andy Greenwald, a former TV critic at Grantland, current host of Hacking Robots and also of the excellent TV podcast, The Watch. Andy, thanks for taking some time out of your day.
0: Thanks for inviting
1: me. The pleasure is absolutely all mine. I think I actually learned about Mr. Robot through reading your work at Grantland. So oh, in nice. some in some weird way, we're here today because of the work you were putting out.
0: Oh, okay. I'll thank myself then.
1: <laughs> I think that's fair. Let's talk about what's happening on screen so far this season in Mr. Robot. I believe on the watch recently, you guys made uh, an excellent point that Mr. Robot season one was. A kinetic action ride that really gripped a lot of people because of how it moved and because of how it chewed up a bunch of plot. Whereas so far, it's inevitable in season twos of any show, but especially after that season one, things are going to slow down a little bit, focus on some of the characters, and we're seeing more of the idiosyncrasies of people who aren't Elliot, talking Angela, Darlene, Ray, etc. So can you talk a little bit about why that's such a necessary transition and then What of those uh, kind of, let's call them second tier characters or background characters or supporting cast, which of those storylines kind of grips you the most so far in season two?
0: Sure. Well, I think the hardest turn a television show can ever make in, I mean, I guess the hardest thing a television show can ever be, and the hardest thing ever to do with a television show is probably get made and get on the air in the first place. But the second hardest thing to do is to make the turn from a first season into a second season. And what's really essential for a tv show to survive or even thrive in traditional terms is to develop a show that is as broad as it is deep and the thing that was so striking about mr robot season one is that it was essentially a story told from the perspective of one deeply damaged character everything was filtered through elliot's mind and through his eyes and through his his voice uh to a degree that was really quite unprecedented, and I don't know if people even believed it would be possible. The truth is, it's not possible to sustain <laughs> that for more than one season, and I think Sam Smail, the show's creator, would agree with that. So one of the tricks uh, that he had to kind of master going into season two was to make us care about the ensemble cast as a whole, in addition to Elliot. And that's not just for um, longevity's sake for the show, but it's also to save Rami Malek's life and not burden the entire <laughs> thing on him, and to keep everyone else involved and you know basically keep a have a, have a number of balls in the air to keep a larger audience uh, engaged in watching um, that's tricky I think the other thing to to say is that the while the show has been expanding in terms of what we're seeing in front of the camera in season 2 it's actually been going in the other direction behind the camera because Sam Esmail is directing every episode this season which is also quite unprecedented and in order to accomplish that they, they, they've been block shooting the season like a feature film meaning they're not shooting in sequence they're shooting uh multiple scenes from multiple episodes in a single location on a single day, which has got to be an acting feat. I mean, I, I can't even quite understand how they pull that off. But I think it's been interesting to watch the season so far because it's been a fundamentally very different show, um, both because of the expanded palette of uh, storytelling, but then also because of the extremely focused visual palette. So I think it's been a little bit off-putting because it's just it's just a different show. I, I don't know if off-putting, but let's just say jarring or disorienting. Sure. To, to your other question... The thing that surprised me the most, the the plot line that I've been most interested in, and I would never have thought this going in, is uh, Angela's storyline, Portia Doubleday's character. I am confident.
1: I am confident. I am confident. Yes, come, please, please. I'd like you to meet two of your colleagues. Gentlemen, introduce yourselves.
0: Saul Weinberg,
1: managing director of operations.
0: Hi, Angela, it's nice to meet you. Philip Price,
1: Master of the Universe
0: uh, the work she's doing with Michael Christopher, who I think is just just terrific, and born to play a part like this. In fact, he played it before on the very not good show that's, that's my that shows you how long it's been since I've been a written critic. I, I know I've lost adjectives, but <laughs> uh, he played basically played this part on Rubicon and is just having a, a bigger stage to play it here. Uh, that storyline is really compelling, um, and it's really compelling on a, on a human and emotional level, which I think is a very important thing for a show as occasionally chilly and technical as Mr. Robot to have.
1: It, I mean, it's unbelievable how intense their scenes are where it's, at its core, two people having dinner, two people talking outside of a uh, you know car pickup spot. But, man, the complexities there, which I'm sure there's still much, much more to unravel as to what Philip Price's actual intentions are. But I'm with you. I When Angela first shows up and she's tied up in Ollie's storylines, you're kind of worried that we're going to be spending time with her as a character. And yeah. this season, I couldn't get enough.
0: Yeah, he's playing, I mean, he's so good at playing power and the sort of um, the casualness of true power. You know, people who have so much money that they can afford to have long digressions about Semifredo um, <laughs> can afford to not really care so much about how they look or how they walk or, how they, or even what other people think of him. And so much of Angela's Uh, storyline this year is about uh, self empowerment and trying to do that through any means necessary and the contrast between these characters one who is doing everything she can to prop herself up and the other one who doesn't need anyone's help he's just standing under the back of everyone he's ever met Um, it's a really interesting contrast
1: well uh, let me ask you another question about the season so far it doesn't have to be a character specifically but what is the biggest surprise for you Uh, you know if you told me going into the season we would see White Rose before we saw Terrell Wellick or that, you know, Elliot would essentially be confined to a very strict regiment over and over again and really not touch keyboard until this week. There's a lot of things that when you look at them in that degree are surprising, but what stands out for you in that
0: regard? I think you I think you said it. I think the the complete absence of Terrell is interesting um and and surprising. Although when you think about the sort of storytelling box that they wrote themselves into with that character who is essentially the most wanted man in the world, <laughs> I don't know, how you casually bring him back or just have him hanging around in the arcade. I am a little bit surprised. I knew from talking to Sam uh at the end of last season and in the off season that he was very excited to go backwards in the storytelling and talk about how F society was founded to talk about Elliot and Darlene's family history. I am a little bit surprised at how how deep he's gone into those things, um, perhaps at the expense of moving the larger world plot forward. But I, I guess overall, my biggest surprise, and this is a happy one, is I just think the show's been very very low key funny this season. I think <laughs> you know I, I think that people are going to you know we're, we're talking after having seen the season's I guess technically it's the, the fourth episode. Right. I think I think this episode will. will Get some criticism for the pace of the storytelling and Sam himself tweeted today Wednesday that he apologizes for this episode being extra long shorter <laughs> going forward I definitely don't know if this episode needed to be 65 minutes long in total runtime but I think to, to focus too much on that criticism will lose sight of the fact that he essentially created a horror movie called what's the slaughter of the bourgeoisie or something <laughs> trace the mask to this and has them watching this campy um, peck and pa me dairy horror film I mean I, I and the way that, that you know, the, the music crescendos with Elliot holding the mask. I mean, I, he knows what he's doing. He knows the tropes he's playing with. And I, I really enjoy the visual humor. I mean, clearly what the film is doing is debunking the notion that American society is classless. Meritocracy, my ass. Long live the oligarchy.
1: You know, it, you would never necessarily compare these two shows based solely on the plots they're playing out. But things like how Mr. Robot has shown a sense of humor, whether it's, Joey, badass, or that fake film really mm-hmm. reminds me of why everyone loved Breaking Bad. It, an extremely kinetic plot show with beautiful visual aesthetic, um, but it also knew how to laugh at itself. And in this season, in particular, if the you know pre-credit stingers continue to kind of have this theme of looking back, that was another kind of trademark of Breaking Bad that they always <laughs> seemed to think of that and you know make all twelve stingers a cohesive unit.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point, a great observation. I I think that obviously Sam is a big fan of of Breaking Bad, and I think he has a lot of knowing winks to to previous shows and previous great shows. I mean, a lot of people talk about going down rabbit holes of fan theories with the show, but he did the same same thing himself on Reddit boards with Lost. I mean, he definitely definitely steers the show uh, in those directions intentionally.
1: Coming up next on Decrypted, more with Andy Greenwald. We'll get into how Netflix might be partially responsible for this season of Mr. Robot, and just how he feels about the rise of the TV after show, hacking robot included. But first word from our corporate overlords. Is this something I said? Not really. Do
0: you really think you'll ever afford? It?
1: That. Well let me ask you a couple of kind of big big picture Mr. Robot slash TV questions moving away from what's on the screen. You had mentioned it in the beginning, one of the hardest things to do is to just get your show on television. And I you've you know, you and Chris Ryan on the watch kinda of joke about it all the time. This USA is the network of bird notice, and it's an impressive feat that Mr. Robot got made here. But with how distinct its style is and with the content matter it's doing, is it just impressive it got made
0: anywhere? I th- I would have said yes in any other moment in television history, but we are at a moment where content is is, is king and content seems to be in such high demand that people can make uh, creative asks or take creative chances that they never ever would have been able to do before simply because you know, the, the the entrenched power structure of networks never would have allowed it. The key seems to be finding a, 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 I don't know what you call it, Call it an outlet, you know, whether it's a, a network or a streaming service that really, really wants to be in whatever business that you are offering. Um, and we're starting to really see, you know, in terms of Mr. Robot's success on USA, I think you can draw a, a pretty bright line um, from something, the situation like with AMC with Mad Men and Breaking Bad 10 years ago, where a network was desperate to reinvent itself and so took chances on scripts that were universally understood to be brilliant scripts by talented people. I mean, that was the industry perception of, of, of Matthew Weiner's Mad Men and Vince Gilligan's Breaking Bad. There are just, no network was willing to take a chance on them, but AMC needed the, the potential reward so much that it was willing to take on the risk and it obviously worked out for amc and it was a similar situation with usa where it was nearing the end of its sort of blue skies
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh identity you know and 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 he shows that at a certain point started to seem honestly interchangeable necessary roughness or royal pains or you, know, you mentioned burn notice they wanted to reinvent themselves and so they took the biggest swing possible and i think you know it's very likely that 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 Sam and Anonymous Content had at least one other suitor for Mr. Robot. But my guess is that whatever that other suitor was wasn't willing to completely give over the control that that he really wanted. And, and, and certainly the success of season one allowed him to take all of the control. But we're seeing, you know, with something like Stranger Things on Netflix now, there is reward in for these for these uh uh services to basically let people realize their visions in a very idiosyncratic or very personal way. And I think that, I mean, my hope is that we'll see more of it, but then there's always the, you run the risk that you'll have something completely indulgent and you empower the wrong person, like True Detective Season 2.
1: <laughs> let me let me ask you specifically about that, the fact that you can kind of empower one person to have almost, you know, 100% creative control. Did that, that fundamentally changes your old job as TV critic, right? I, I think you've mentioned this on The Watch as well, but when people are evaluating Mr. Robot week to week. I like this episode. Mm -hmm. I don't like this episode. It's in some degree a disservice because Sam has the full season vision and is executing that as close to anybody could as his vision. It's no longer even a director change week to week. So, you know, we really need to be thinking about these things. I think you put it in, you know, chapters in a book instead of individual book week to week.
0: Yeah, I, I generally like to push back against that, and not only because I used to have to literally review things week to week, <laughs> but I, I, I appreciate the uniqueness of television, which allows us, you know, it's a very mutable and very fluid art form that can be something in in, uh, in, in, in macro, in, in, you know, with the, the, the collection of all of the disparate episodes, and it can also be something week to week. And I really believe in the episode as a very distinct um, a distinct piece of art basically um but the key to remember is that not every showrunner uh or creator thinks that uh David Simon was the first person to talk about at least that I know of to talk about episodes as just chapters uh you in, in an overall book it's very very hard to pull out any one single episode of the wire and hold it up as an exemplar of what many people believe to be the greatest series in history Vince Gilligan came from network tv and felt differently as did Matt Weiner they're you know Mad Men seasons and Breaking Bad seasons added up to something and were cohesive, but individually episodes could be peeled off and you know with radically different styles and different points of view and different tones. I think we're seeing with Sam, I you know he considers himself a filmmaker first and foremost, and I think getting full directorial control the season means that he's making essentially a twelve-hour movie. Uh, my my only disappointment with the season so far, honestly, is that the episodes are not particularly distinct, and I wonder if you could even do that if you were doing that sort of block shooting that he that he was doing the season so i think it really comes down to a more of a case-by-case basis there are certainly still shows and creators who believe in the episode i, w- I would point to noah holly who um you know who is a novelist and and certainly in making limited series like fargo is making one story but believes very strongly in 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 disorienting and jarring and surprising viewers week to week
1: yeah. well i don't want to keep you much longer i i know you're a busy guy two quick big TV questions, if you don't mind. The first being, you talked about this uh, as well, the fact that there's so much content being made today and so many different venues. Uh, I know you're a person who thinks a lot about that, and to my mind, to my simplistic mind, the idea of the streaming services are what kind of pushed that. You know, When Netflix starts making original programming, that changes the game for everybody. And I'm wondering if you've sat and thought about who has it changed the game the most for? Is it us as the viewers and how we're consuming and accessing, or has it been for the content creators? Because now someone like Sam Esmail can get full control over a series or someone like the Duffer Butter Brothers uh, get a series made that maybe didn't exist 10 years ago.
0: I think it's just radically changed the landscape for everyone to a degree that we haven't quite fully processed. I think it's a very different kind of change. I think for viewers, it's gravy. I mean, I, when there was all the talk after John Langraf's speech last year about peak TV and mm-hmm. and too much TV... The, the, the analogy I made was that, you know, if you go to an all-you-can-eat salad bar, you never complain about the portions. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's really sort of disingenuous to, to sort of concern troll the consumer who suddenly has a thousand choices, most of which are very good. It makes it harder to make – it makes it harder to make um, overarching narratives, basically, and draw connections. And, and frankly, just to watch everything, let alone cover everything. In terms of creators, I think it's a time of enormous – opportunity, as times of instability often are. Um, people are getting rich off of this. People are staying in work longer because of this. Um, whereas before, you might work on one show in the course of a year. Um, I know people who have jumped, you know, to as many as three different writers' rooms in a single wow. year. They're not, They're not necessarily getting rich off of it, but that's, that's nice to be constantly working as opposed to, you know, great periods of drought that I think uh, <laughs> TV writers, and a lot of creative people have in general. I think the, the big opportunity is is to the people that you mentioned. Um, you know, Sam Esmell an enormous talent, had made one indie film that was you know moderately well received, and is now in control of this you know multi million dollar enterprise that that a major company, a major network, has basically staked its future on. Uh, the Duffer Brothers must have enormous. I mean, they they're clearly enormously talented, and they must have very good representation and very good reel and very good. Um, they must give great meeting because oh, totally. you know, I think their their IMDb page is looks well, like an episode of Wayward Pines or something, <laughs> and they they wrote and directed the show that is coming out come out of nowhere to basically be the show of summer 2016. So I, the one thing, the only constant is that no one really knows what's happening yet, and if they say they do, they're lying. I think people are just <laughs> trying to play, people are trying to play a symphony on instruments that haven't been invented yet, and I, I don't mean to make a Mozart in the Jungle reference, but <laughs> you know, when I when I talked to to um, Joel Stillerman, who's the head of AMC, about his decision to renew Halt and Cash Fire, a show I, I really love that has just absolutely infinitesimal ratings, he was basically making the argument that he can make the numbers work thanks to you know the studios owning the show in-house, thanks to tax breaks, thanks to the money made by The Walking Dead, basically to Invest in the show because he knows at some point having a library of five, whatever, maybe well-regarded seasons of *Halt and Catch Fire* will be monetizable in the future. Um, that future isn't here yet, but at some point when AMC Networks goes over to the top, like HBO Now or or whatever. He knows that that is going to make sense, but that's a very risky position. If you're, you know, it sounds like I'm talking about a a, a hedge fund guy. <laughs> and so I, I think the the people who are who are succeeding are the ones who are willing to basically stick their necks out, whether it's in a financial sense or a creative sense. For for the audiences, it's gravy.
1: One last question, and I'll let you go. But I, you know, I have to say congrats because you were the host of the after show for Mr. Robot yes. this season, and you, you know, Thank you have you. another episode coming up.
0: I do.
1: How do you see the role of those? And it strikes me as that might also be something that has emerged from the, you know, I, and apologies for the startup language, the Netflix disruption of television. The after show kind of find an avenue as we're all watching different things and all kind of communicating silently through. Slack channels and over Gchat, the after show is kind of a new communal space that maybe the office water cooler used to occupy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's certainly what's emerged. I, I think, you know, I, I, I've i had an amazing time and amazing opportunity working with, with my friend Chris on After the Thrones and then doing this hacking robot thing was really fun, but the role that these shows play is something I think I'm still trying to wrap my head around, and I think uh, studios and, and creators are still trying to wrap their heads around it, too. I, all I can say is you know, the, the, the rise of, of yeah, whether it's peak TV or Gold Age of TV has created this culture where people do love talking about it. People love sharing it. It's a very community-based experience. It's the most communal medium I think that we have in entertainment, which is one of the reasons why I love it. So it makes sense that the networks would want to try and harness some of that enthusiasm and some of that community for themselves. People want access, you know, and uh, in, in terms of what that adds to the overall artistic endeavor, I don't know. But I, I, I don't know if it's if it's even my position to say anymore. It's 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 really all happening in real time, and I, I'm not really <laughs> sure how it's going to shake out. But it's pretty interesting.
1: I mean, I will definitely be tuning in. I watched the first episode of Hacking Robot. I will certainly watch the next one. So, Andy Greenwald, thank you for taking some time out of your afternoon today and chatting, Mr. Robot, with me. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you
0: that's it for this week's decrypted
1: tune in next week where we might turn an eye to the show's visual language and catch up on where the season stands just shy of the halfway point thanks again this week go out to the audio network who provide all the music you hear going on in the background and of course to our guest andy greenwald for taking some time out of his day make sure you're following decrypted wherever you get your podcasts itunes stitcher or directly through rss If you got questions, comments, or thoughts, feel free to reach out to us, either through the Ars Technica forums or via email, social at arstechnica.com. Just put Mr. Robot in the subject line. Until next time.
0: I know the cops took all your joints. I can help roll them for you if you'd like.